All right, good morning, church. I want to give another special announcement, too, that is more meant from me. Thank you to all of the guys that helped put up the new TV. So we have Rod, Brian, Bill. Appreciate you guys all helping this happen. And, and I want to give a shout-out to everyone that's listening online and watching online as well today. We've got people all the way from uh, Puerto Rico, where Duffy's at, Montana, Missouri. Everybody's there, so... Unlike last week when our live stream died, hopefully it stays alive, right? But if you were here last week and not on live because it didn't work, but if you're here last week, we talked about the Old Testament a little bit. We went into Jonah and kind of shared the story of Jonah, all four chapters from verse one to the end, and we covered it and we looked at the prophet of God, Jonah, and how maybe, maybe, Jonah was a good prophet. Maybe not. But eventually, when Jonah does follow through on his promise to God, he eventually does go to the great city of Nineveh. And we read about that uh, last week, and we talked about the whole story. But when he gets to Nineveh, it's, it's my inclination to think that he still had an attitude problem. Right? He walks into the city, and he gives his five-word sermon. In the Hebrew, it's five words. And he basically says, God is going to kill you. And that's all he does. He leaves. He walks out, he goes up on the hillside, and he pouts. That's how I'd say Jonah does. And he sits there and he waits for God to destroy the city of Nineveh. He still kind of had a little bit of an attitude problem. And he knew the truth of God, but yet he still reluctantly told it to the people. He still had prejudice against these people who were his enemy. These people who he saw were evil and against God, he didn't want to share with them the truth because he was scared that they might actually turn and become a part of God's people. See, they were Gentiles, they were against his nation, and they were wicked, evil people. So this morning, I want to go, instead of to the Old Testament, let's bring it back to the New Testament. And I want to look at a story, but history, from the New Testament that I think parallels. It compares, but it also contrasts. And so I'd invite you to grab your Bibles. We're going to be in chapter 17 of Acts this morning. Acts 17. And so I think this story about Paul in the city of Athens in Acts 17 compares to Jonah a little bit, and I hope you see that. But also the greatest thing I hope you see is how it contrasts how Paul uh, kind of approaches people differently than Jonah did when he was in Nineveh. So open up to chapter 17 in in the book of Acts, and let's go ahead and read this story together. Because Paul, unlike Jonah, I think really was much better at giving the truth and the word of God. Acts chapter 17, we are going to pick up in verse 16, if you don't mind. Verse 16 of chapter 17. Let me give you a little bit of the backstory. If you haven't been here in Bible class, We've been going through Acts, and we only have one more chapter, 16, until we're right up equal to this. But let me give you the backstory about what's happening here in Acts. The church has started and is established, and we've been following Paul for a little while now. Paul and Barnabas is kind of where we're at in verse 15, and we just saw them depart and go separate ways. But every time we read of Paul, he goes into a city, you know, he proclaims to usually the Gentile people, or the Jews, he proclaims to them the gospel message, and in some way or another, he gets kicked out of town. (laughs) We've seen this happening 
quite a few times. It doesn't go exactly smoothly for Paul. And I would say that's continued to happen all the way up to chapter 17. So let's go ahead and pick up in verse 16. Paul's been a missionary, but it's been a rough journey for him. So let's go ahead and read Acts 17, verse 16. And I'm going to pull a fast one on you guys. For this first section of scripture, I'm going to read out of the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. I invite you to read out of your own. I just liked one wording in this. Then I'll go back to my ESV, okay? So Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, they were waiting for Silas and Timothy, right? While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that this city was full of idols. So he reasoned with the synagogue and with the Jews and those who worship God, as well in the marketplace every day, those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also debated with him. And they said, what is this ignorant show-off even trying to say? That's the words I like. Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So Acts 17, 16 through 18, I read it out of a little bit of a different version. But what happens is Paul is waiting around in Athens. He's waiting for Silas and Timothy to show up so they can work together in the city, right? And while he's waiting, he's wandering around the city and he notices, man, these Greek, these Athens people, Athenians, they're religious. They have an idol to everything, right? And so he's wandering around the marketplace and talking to the people there And while he's talking to them, trying to talk to them about their idols, what do the people say? Well, the philosophers and the Stoics, Epicureans say, that's why I like this version. What is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Because he was speaking the gospel, right? That's not something that they knew. So here's where I think it parallels with Jonah a little bit, taking us back to last week. Paul walks into a city full of evil. Think about the Greek gods that there's probably idols to here in Athens. Think about it for a minute. We probably have gods in Greek culture over wealth, power, beauty, lust, sex. They have gods for all of those things, right? They're a a people of religion that is very immoral and worldly, but they have a god for everything the Greek people do, right? And so Paul's looking around, And I think it's easy for him to be like Jonah. He could say, these people are lost, so evil, worship every god under the sun, but yet they don't even know God, God. But yet, that's not what Paul does. Paul walks around the city, and seeing all the religion, he still shares the gospel. It seems like he must be telling it in the street corners, because the people of the city are like, what is this guy talking about? What is he talking about? But let's keep on reading because Paul continued to share. He didn't stop because it was a secular culture full of lots of evil gods. But verse 19, we'll read through 21. And don't worry, I'm back in my normal version, ESV, okay? So verse 19, let's go ahead and read that one all the way through 21. And they took him, Paul, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying... May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? 
For you bring strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So we just read a few more verses there. And what happens when Paul is speaking in the city against the city of all of these gods is they say, wow, we've never heard this before. Why don't you come and speak to us on Mars Hill? That's what the Areopagus is, right? And so they say, basically, Paul, we've never heard anything religiously about this. Come and give a lecture in our university. (laughs) That's basically the equivalent of what they're saying. Because, again, let's look at the culture. The Greek people were full of philosophy and what they thought was understanding and knowledge. And so they weren't really scared of anything, but they wanted to know more about what Paul was saying. Even though it was completely against all of their religious backing, all of their gods, they still wanted to hear his ideologies, his understanding, because that's the people that they were. So they asked Paul to come up and speak on Mars Hill at the Areopagus. Verse 22. Let's continue reading the story. So Paul said, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that every way, in every way, you are religious. Very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship, what you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything since he himself gives all to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far or out of reach for each one of us. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or imagination of man. That's Acts 17, 24 or 22 through 29. So in verse 22 and 23, Paul takes the opportunity. He comes and and speaks at the Areopagus. He speaks at their lecture hall, right? And the first thing he starts with is he admires the people. (laughs) He admires the evil people that have gods to everything, including sex and debauchery. Yeah, he admired them. He said, I have noticed that you are very religious people. So religious, in fact, that when I was walking around looking at your various gods, that you even had one to an unknown God. 
And he says, so what you're devoting and worshiping is unknown. Hmm. You didn't want to miss any God, so you even built an idol to one you don't know. So Paul says, well, you have your bases covered. You got all the gods. But Paul uses that last one. He uses that unknown God, and Paul uses it to share the gospel. He takes an opportunity of something that's super secular, and he uses it to share the gospel. So, there's a statue to an unknown God, and he says, suppose that idol is one of the most sinful things to Christians. Just take ourselves out of it for a second. That idol is an idol, okay? Paul takes it, and he says, you're worshiping another God, but the unknown God, I know him. That's basically what Paul does, right? He says, that unknown God that you can't even describe, I know him, and he is the true God. Instead of him being an unknown God, he is far above all of your other gods because he's the true God. He doesn't live in anything made of gold or bronze or stone, but rather he's above all of that. And what Paul does in in these next few verses is he starts to describe the true God to the Greeks, to these people that have all sorts of gods. He's taking them out of their culture and showing them God. In verse 24, Paul shares that God, the true God, is the creator of the universe. He's over all of heaven and all of earth. And since he's over everything... He doesn't need a man-made temple because he could have made it if he needed it. But rather, he's God over everything. And then verse 25, Paul shares that God doesn't need humans to give him anything because instead, God gave humans everything. It says, from the very first breath. So he flips that back on, on the Greeks and he says, instead of a God that needs things from you, The true God has given you everything from your very first breath. Verses 26 through 29, he continues to describe God, and he's not just a God of small. He's not a God of one small idol or one small city or one small people, but he's over everything. He's over all nations. He's over all humans. And he's been around as long as we've lived, all throughout all of mankind. And he's with you. Unlike your gods that you worship right now who are galaxies and worlds away, you even think that about them, right? This God, the true God, isn't far from any man. Instead, he's connected to every man because man came from God and through God we live and we have being. We are his offspring. See, Paul is really shifting everything they think about religion in just a few sentences. He only has one stage right now. And he says, so listen, guys. The true God doesn't require an idol or a building or any specific sacrifices because he has a relationship with you from the beginning of mankind. Wow, that really shook everything up for the Greeks for these people in Athens, right? So in just a few minutes, right? Paul's standing up on the stage in just a few minutes. He takes a statue about an unknown God, a sinful idol, 
from a people who worship all sorts of gods. And what he does is he takes it and he uses it to share about the true God. He doesn't let that get in his way, but rather he uses it to share about how God is with people and how he cares for people. But he didn't just stop there. He shares the greatness of God, but then he continues in verse 30 and 31. And this is really key. Verse 30 and 31, Paul says, The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. So Paul shares about God, who God is, and how he has relationship with mankind, right? But he doesn't stop there. In these two verses, he gives a call, right? He gives an altar call, as we'd say it. But he says, God has ignored your ignorance. You didn't know about him, but I'm telling you about him now. And this God, he's judge. And there will be a day where he judges everyone. And what's he say? He judges based on a man. He goes into the gospel a little bit as well, doesn't he? He says he will judge based on Jesus. So what's he do? He says God will judge, but he also starts to offer a solution. He tells him about God, tells him how he's just, and then he tells him the gospel. He tells him about Jesus and how they can still be saved, even though they were ignorant about God just a few minutes before. We're going to stop there reading. In the next couple verses, we don't see a huge turnaround or anything like that. We see some people were intrigued and listened. Some people denied and didn't want to listen. But what they do is they invite Paul back again to continue speaking. And you know that Paul is going to continue to use the opportunity to share the gospel, to share Jesus Christ. But let's think about the whole story. How can it apply to us today? Well, Paul walks into a people of evil, of many other gods who, I mean, really, you think about Greek gods, they're evil, they're gross, right? He walks into those people and he takes one piece of their culture, an idol, and he uses it to share about God and Jesus. He's not afraid of their culture, but it's interesting because from the beginnings of the New Testament church, Paul hasn't been afraid of culture. He was against, you know, the Jewish culture in the beginning. He persecuted Christians. And then when he was converted and brought to Christ, he was the perfect person to be in those interesting, different cultural situations. So Paul has never been against culture. And I think we can kind of learn from that as well. Think about it for ourselves. Think about it. I'm convicted when I read this, when I read the story of Paul. Because as the church today, sometimes we're faced with the same sort of things. As soon as we walk out of this building, and I hope this isn't a surprise to you, you're going to walk into a world full of evil, a world full of secular idols. It'll happen as soon as you step out of there. It might even be happening in the building, right? Because it's the people but you're going to step into a world full of unknown gods, okay? Full of secular idols. 
And in America, we have our favorites. We, you can pick the one that you think of, right? We all have our favorites. And we look at them as a church and we say, they're scary, because <laughs> they are. The idols that we see in America are just as scary as the idol that Paul saw that said an unknown God. But when we step out, whether we have to face somebody that's consumed by the idol of money or power or sex, drugs, alcohol, the beauty of nature, I mean, pick whatever one you want. As Americans, we're really good at making idols out of pretty much anything. We can easily be scared by them. And I'm challenging us to see, what did Paul do? Well, he saw it. He saw how evil and how scary it was. But what he did is he walked up to the idol. He examined it. He said, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use the culture to share Jesus. I'm going to use the culture and their evil idols to share about God's nature, how it's not like this idol. So whatever idol you might be facing or you know someone facing in America today, I'm challenged that we should go meet people at their idols. That's what I see Paul doing. He met the people where they were. And I don't think it's because it was less scary for him. I think it was very scary. I would be terrified of an idol that says to an unknown God. But what Paul did is he used it. He used it to share God. So bring it back to us again for a minute. Think about those idols that we have. Think of those idols that our acquaintances and family members are daily living in. How can we meet them there? How can we approach them and say, you know what? I see the allure of your idol. I see how it gets you. But there's something, someone, who's far, far greater than that. And I want you to practice caution when you do this. Because with every challenge, there's a balance. Challenge for me, when I see idols that people worship, there's some I can't do. I can't walk into the strip club and do evangelism. Satan works too hard on me on that one. He would twist that to work for him instead of me twisting that to work for God. That one's too hard for me. But I challenge you today to find an idol you see in the world. Find an idol that your friends, your family, sometimes maybe even you have to deal with. And not be scared by it, but take that item and use it to show how God is greater than anything than any idol, than anything the world can ever give us. God is greater than pleasure, power, feeling, etc. God is greater than that. So, church, I want to start with myself. I want to challenge myself this week to be less like Jonah, who thinks people aren't worth it because they're so evil, terrible. They have so many other gods, I just don't even want to try. Instead of being like that, Be more like Paul and approach them and see their gods and be like, it doesn't matter. I can take your unknown God and say, God, the true God is greater than that. Take the cultural idol, use it to share God. Let's go be like Paul in our culture. Instead of turning away and being scared of people and their idols, 
Let's use them. And hear me really, really strongly on this last one. Don't go participate in the idols. Don't go sin to try and share Jesus. That's why the strip club's too hard, right? But instead, take an idol that you know you won't fall into sin with and use it for God. Because God is greater than any idols in the whole world, even the American ones, even the ones we have to deal with. So, this week, let's take the idols and use them for God. Thank you, guys. Thank you.